Hey, it's Andrew. Miles is here too. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. So as we've been covering COVID-19 and doing all this kind of stuff, we've been trying to keep the ads out of the podcast. But one thing that we did want to mention is that if you want to support local journalism, if you want to support what we're doing here, if these updates have been useful for you, one thing that you can do to help us out right now is to buy something from our shop. We have a really cool shop at doorcountypulse.com slash shop. And there's a lot of really cool stuff on there. Yeah, we have great posters from our art director, Ryan Miller of the Door County state parks we have posters of the door county lighthouses the two volume door county living in pictures books and a lot of other great stuff even stickers like if you buy a sticker all of those purchases go to help support this podcast and the work we do each week with the peninsula pulse sending the news out to every mailbox in the county and we can do all that for free when you do that you're supporting the work we're doing here and the weekly edition of the Peninsula Pulse. Once again, that is doorcountypulse.com slash shop. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, had some interesting weather conditions this morning, and I've been in contact with my folks back in Minnesota who had a blizzard uh, yesterday. <laughs> so I think that we saw just the tail end of that, uh, but nothing stuck. I'm looking outside my window right now, and it looks the same as it did yesterday. So looks like we dodged the bullet on that one. Yeah, third straight year we're getting snow in late April. This is at least this one is not a thirty incher. I'll take it. Right. Uh, why don't we jump right into the news? Have a couple stories to talk about today, and then we have an interview that we'll jump into afterwards. First off, the number of cases in Door County, as of our recording right now, it's a little after noon, remains at nine cases. But we did have our first COVID-related death today as well. Yeah, uh, that release just came in about an hour ago. Sadly, a man in his 70s with underlying health conditions died from the COVID-19 virus. That's Door County's first. Still just nine cases like like we were as of, I think, on Saturday, actually. So yeah. Kiwani County now with three. But, you know, that's the underlying health conditions that's basically almost anybody who dies from this virus, the majority have underlying health conditions. And that's kind of the same way as like when someone dies from pneumonia or the flu, it's almost always correlated with some underlying conditions as well. Um, In uh, the interview that uh, will run after our conversation here, Donna Scattergood and I talk a little bit about that, about some of the primary underlying health conditions that put people at great risk of having a serious reaction to the virus. So those people need to be extra cautious. Right. Anything else COVID-related in the state or national level that we haven't talked about since the weekend that's come up? Well, one thing, the Wisconsin Department of Health Services continues to add new um, data points to their website uh, about the outbreak. And if you're a data geek and want to dive in there, it's kind of interesting. There's one of the things today is they're actually uh, releasing what percentage of the cases in Wisconsin are healthcare workers. And as of this morning, it's at least 16% of all the cases. That's almost 553, I think it's 553 cases are healthcare workers. So even though we don't have the crazy numbers that some other states have, and we haven't had the death totals of other states, just think about that impact to the healthcare system. Because when a healthcare worker tests positive, they have to be taken out of the rotation. And then quarantine and until they get better and then they can go back into work. So right. at least ideally that's what's happening. And so you think of taking 550 people out of healthcare across the state and what 
how quickly that burden. Now, you, now even if you just had not even like the doomsday scenario that they put out a few weeks ago of like 22,000 cases and 1,500 dead by now, but let's say it was only just 6,000 cases and that number of healthcare workers were just twice that number. Now you're, now you're getting at 1,000 and you can see how quickly the burden on the, the hospitals and our healthcare system could get overwhelmed. Right. In some lighter news, some things a little bit more happy. How was your Easter, Miles? Uh, it was it was good in quarantine. <laughs> I Victoria and I had what might have been our first like cooked meal that we didn't make at home. Where do you get uh, it from? Scaturos did a really awesome deal. It was like thirty dollars for their Easter brunch, and it was prime rib and ham and chicken breast and macaroni and cheese and mashed potatoes and a bunch of pastries and steamed carrots and biscuits and gravy and bacon and sausage and egg bake and so on and so forth. It was just a ton of food for like $30, which if you and your loved one can go out for to eat indoor County for $30, like you're feeling pretty good that you can do that to get <laughs> yeah. that much that amount of food for that price was incredible. So we had a really nice Easter brunch, took some pictures of our son for his first Easter, and uh, it was pretty great. I know that there were a bunch of other places that were doing uh, Easter specials. The Sturgeon Bay Yacht Club did an Easter meal as well over the weekend. So community kind of came together in little ways. Yeah, the Boys like. and Girls Club, I think, might have worked with the Yacht Club on that, um, doing like a free meal for, for people to take out. I know Roots Inn and Kitchen up in Sister Bay was doing a special meal where they were donating portion of proceeds to chair to uh, some of the local funds and charities. Uh, a lot of businesses doing that around the county. Um, it's always awesome just to see how much Dora County gives to people in need, and you're you right. see that every day up here right now. It's pretty inspiring. Um, yeah. By the way, I I did see one of your pictures of Oliver. Looks very cute. Looks a lot like you. Thank you. Appreciate uh, my, that. my wife saw the picture and said, oh, that looks like an Andrew expression right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was nice to be able to get him dressed up and take some pictures with him, even though we weren't celebrating with family like we normally would have been. It was still nice to give him a little Easter and have some fun with him. Uh, I had also heard from a couple of friends that uh, some people are starting to get their CARES Act stimulus. So hopefully those are going out to people with direct deposit more and more this week. So something to look forward to if you're eligible for that. Uh, anything else before we jump into our, our little bit of news here in the interview? Yeah. Uh, one thing, as we speak, the election results are not out yet from last week's election. Um, but uh, Door County Clerk Jill Lau says those should be posted by 5 p.m. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, some of you uh, may already know some of those results. If you haven't, you can check our DoorCountyPulse.com website and the election tab at the top. As soon as those come out, we will try and get those up on our site for people to check out and find out who won some of our local school board races, village board, town board, and then also the one that a lot of people will be watching nationally is the state Supreme Court race. So Right. Yeah, and I'm sure that we will talk about those results tomorrow on the podcast as well. Uh, so for today, uh, one bit of news that came out is that the Alpine Resort is not going to open this season. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense given the circumstances, uh, but tell me a little bit about some of the things that went into making that decision. Yeah, I, um, I actually caught up with Bill Birchinger, the patriarch of the family. And so Bill is 92, I believe. And I caught him by phone and... <laughs> He had to ask me to call him back because he was in the process of moving a refrigerator. So yeah. Bill, Bill's still working hard down there at the Alpine. Um, 
The guy is remarkable. The so essentially they have a couple of issues. Obviously, there is this moratorium on hotels and lodging facilities not being allowed to take guests. Then you add in in the case of the Alpine, they need about a hundred summer employees to come in and operate that facility. Right? They rely heavily, as so many do, on international workers coming here on a J-1 visa. And that whole program is entirely uncertain right now. I'm still digging for more details on the latest. Uh, the Alpine has been told that June 1st would be the earliest they could come, which is already getting to be too late for the Alpine. Right. And that date is probably going to get pushed back even further if they come at all. I've been told by some business owners that they've been contacted by by people that they had previously hired who have said they are not going to come, not just regardless of whatever the government here tells them, they just don't feel safe coming to the U.S. with the outbreak that we have. So I think the Alpine may be the first of other decisions similar to this in places that rely heavily on on foreign workers on whether or not they're going to be able to open their doors this summer. Um, So that's the first time in Alpine opened in 1922, so this will be the first time in 98 years that they haven't been welcoming guests down in Egg Harbor. Huh. So pretty sad. It's a bummer. It's one of my like favorite places to go check out. And um, it's just cool historic place if nobody's ever done it before. They are not sure. They might be able to open the golf course at some point. And they do have some homes that they rent that they can still open with a small staff. But they are in the process of calling all those guests who've had long traditions of staying there and um, telling them that they got to cancel their reservations. Right. Alpine, is it still on the market? Has anything happened with that since it went up? Yep. Still on the market. Uh, No movement on the sale. I have not even heard any whispers on that of late. Uh, There were a lot of rumors last year that something was imminent, but nothing has materialized. All right, Miles, anything else before we jump into your interview with Donna Scattergood? That's her, this interview with Donna Scattergood, I wanted to talk to her because she's, she, before the, the crisis really hit Door County, she was already in contact with Chris Hecht and others about discussing what people were going to need if we did have to go into a shutdown or a shelter in place type of situation. At the time, shelter in place seemed kind of radical and, and unbelievable, but we are obviously long since there. So she got a, a group of nurses together to be able to answer people's calls. And before we go into the interview, I just wanted to give out that number again to people. So this is through the Door County Emergency Support Coalition. They have an arm that just handles healthcare related questions. And you can reach that through the same number of the coalition. So that's 920-421-9111. Or you can call 920 920- Four two one four four two two, and then Donna and I talk a lot about the different things you could call them for. It really, almost anything that you are confused about, unsure services you need, they can connect you. But we had a long conversation about a lot of different things related to COVID and our local situation. I think it'll be helpful for a lot of people. Right. Well, and I just want to mention again too, uh, if it's been a while since you've you've heard of it, or if you are a new listener to the podcast, the Door County Emergency Support Coalition has resources for people who are looking for assistance and are also looking to volunteer. And you can find out uh, you can find forms to access that uh, and phone numbers to call at doorcountypulse.com. We've kind of turned our landing page into the Emergency Support Coalition's 
portal uh, so you can see everything that you need to see there. We also have up-to-date COVID-19 information on the front page as well. So yeah, if you if you haven't heard of this before or you are being reminded of it now, you can access it there. All of the phone numbers and links to volunteer are there as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Always good to remind people. And one other thing that Donna mentioned to me that we, we didn't get into our interview, but they are working on a similar arm that would be a a mental health resource for folks. They know that there are a lot of even youth uh, students and and folks who who need some access and might need some help, and then also adults. And I guess as this this sheltering continues, uh, probably even more so, uh, more people just needing someone to talk to or direction to go to to get help. So they're hoping to have that going soon. It's not operational yet, but we'll definitely keep you updated as that progresses. Great. Well, why don't we jump right into that interview with Donna Scattergood. Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me today, and I look forward to chatting with you tomorrow, discussing election results and anything else that comes breaking today. Uh, Thank you so much, and I'll see you tomorrow. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Joining me today on the podcast is Donna Scattergood, who has got a long background in community health and related fields and has stepped up to work with the Door County Emergency Support Coalition on some of their efforts to help the community in in a lot of different ways. Donna, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Miles. Appreciate you having me. Why don't you give our listeners a little background on who you are and how you came to be working with Chris Hecht and the folks with the Door County Emergency Support Coalition? Okay. Um, Well, we have made Door County our home since 2012, and we've been coming up for decades before that. Um, My background, I have a PhD in nursing, and the focus was in community and home health, and an intersection of business and healthcare ethics along with that. And that PhD was from the University of Virginia. I'll try to go through this quickly. You can tell I'm older. Um, (laughs) I've been an an international healthcare consultant. Um, I've also worked intensive care, CCU, and um, NIH research. I owned a business in personal and business leadership a while back. I'm board certified in holistic nursing. I have a background in functional medicine and a professional healthcare coaching certificate from Duke as well. So I combined those three for about 20 years. I had a practice, a, a private practice, and I would help people reverse chronic disease through changing lifestyle. So all of these were sort of non-traditional roles, if you will. Um, I also most recently have been teaching with a team up here. We are using Door County as a rural health immersion experience in January for the accelerated Bachelor of Nursing students at UW-Madison. So we're back into teaching in nursing as well. And Door County, by the way, is a wonderful place to um, teach rural health. It, that's another topic. Um, we, yeah, yeah, we might we, we might come back to that a little bit because uh, that nursing program that you did with UW-Madison, um, really interesting. We did an article about that back in January. So we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later in the podcast. Um, and well, one of the things that you did actually even before Sister Bay was the first community in Door County to declare a state of emergency related to the COVID-19 emergency. Um, Even before that happened, you had started a conversation with Chris Hecht about what might be coming down the pipe for our local community and what resources we needed to put in motion ahead of time to help people deal with what a lot of us saw coming and what a lot of 
people didn't see coming at the time. There wasn't, at that moment, there wasn't a lot of direction from the state level in the county level on and what we might have to do, but you and Chris Hecht and some others started a conversation about what might be needed. Tell us how that well, got rolling. Have, well, I first of all, Miles, I have to say thank you to you and, and Dave because you were visionary as well and realizing that something was coming and you helped us get the word out. Um, so I returned from a trip early March and I had been watching since early February what was happening with the, this virus and the spread and I could kind of see the writing on the wall. So I reached out to Chris Heck, the fire chief for um, Liberty Grove and Sister Bay, and I asked if he needed any help and what I might be able to do. And he said, well, yeah, we could use some nurses to pr- help provide some support for the Door County, Emer- what eventually became the Door County Emergency Response Coalition. So I pulled together a group of nurses and we uh, have sort of toggled together a name and we are the uh, Door County Volunteer Community Nurses. So we are working with the Fire Chief Coalition to help people answer questions that they might have, uh, mostly about what you can do while you're at home to stay safe at home. And what and kind healthy. of what kind of things are that? And what kind of questions are you getting from people? So we are answering questions that have to do with anything from helping to interpret the uh, guidelines, the CDC, the World Health Organization, the uh, Department of Nursing. I mean, excuse me, the health department. How how do you interpret those guidelines for what you're doing when you are living in our community? And uh, the discussion questions are anything from uh, what does it mean to quarantine and how do I interpret that for Door County and our community to what does it mean? How do I know when I'm better, especially if I haven't had a fever, but I've got other symptoms that are pretty provocative of the virus and I haven't been tested to, and does, does that mean I can go out in the community or doesn't it? And problem solving along those lines has been important to, uh, we created a procedure for how to wear masks in our community. One of our uh, team has about almost 40 years of experience in intensive care and has taught respiratory uh, care as well, including ventilator care and things, and came up with uh, an application for masks that we can use. We're bringing together how to create a hotspot in your home so you can come and go and leave the virus outside, if you will, if you are having to interact with the community and you're concerned about it, um, safe ways to grocery shop and anything else that the community might have a question about, how to reach out to someone that you're concerned about in the community that might need you to visit. But how do you do that without increasing risk on either party. Those sorts of questions we can answer. Our role is to try to take some of the burden off of the health department and the clinics and hospitals who are focusing on what we would call patient-centered care. Once somebody gets sick and they need to be cared for by a clinic or a hospital, or they're sick enough to think they need to question that, then they should go to the clinic or the health department or the hospital and treat from that point forward. There's the other side of it, which is, um, let's see, the easiest way to say this, patient-centered care is what what the hospitals and the clinics are doing. We hear a lot about the need to look at flattening the curve, making it slow so that we don't overwhelm that system, and that's really important. Community health is what is caring in the community, and there are two reasons for that. One is to keep the curve flat so we don't overwhelm the healthcare system. 
and the need for breathing support and those sorts of things if people get into the healthcare system. But the other is to keep you as healthy as possible at home in your community. So they go hand in hand, but they may be slightly different. Yeah, I think a lot of those questions, I mean, there's there's sort of this national conversation that a lot of people pay attention to, and especially with the older portions of our population that are still very much glued to the nightly national news. Well, that's that's a high-level discussion of this topic, um, very broad, very focused on the president's daily press conferences and these national experts, and not not always does that feel like it applies to a, a small community like Door County. It doesn't necessarily trickle down apples to apples for people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if you're talking about Chicago or New York City where they're closing down parks and trails and, and public access, then you come to Door County, people might also have that question about whether or not the parks are open or what can I do while I'm isolated? Like, what is our, what does this all mean here? And I think you probably are getting those questions. And I, I would guess that as, as time goes on, it's going to get even more so as people do get more scared or, or sheltered in place for so long. And they, and they start to have some of those mental health questions too. Are, are you getting a lot exactly. of those or, or what are you anticipating in the weeks ahead? We're, we're, we have a, Questions starting right now, we'd love to hear more questions, have people call in for more. And I think part of the reason happy to do this podcast is to clarify really what our role can be, which is that interpretation from that high level, that federal level, even the state level. How do we interpret for community? Not necessarily the clinic and hospital component, but the community itself. How do we live in Door County with mm-hmm. this? And so when you, you talk to Chris Hack, you get this started, what is this, like how many nurses are part of this network? How, how did you gather them together and, and put something actually actionable? I mean, you, you know, there's a lot okay. of nonprofits and, and government organizations that are around for years that don't always function as smoothly as we, as we would like. So how do you try and just build this out of scratch? Well, we have a wonderful, as you know, response to the volunteer network for the uh, emergency response coalition. I think the latest I heard from Chris Heck was over 500 people have volunteered in some capacity. And I reached out to some nurses I know that are active in this community. And if others hear this and are interested in joining this arm of the coalition, I would love to hear from you as well. Um, but we, I pulled together people that I knew through the teaching that I had done in January, through the um, health and wellness ministry that has that works as a volunteer organization with the churches in Northern Door, and just other people I've known in the community, and then I developed a what I would call a scope of the volunteer work, what we're doing and what we're not doing, and I shared that with you a little bit. What one of the things we're not doing is triaging. In other words, if someone thinks that they're really sick, they need to call their healthcare provider or the um, hospital, one of those emergency response centers. We're here to help you live well in the community during this time. Uh, so I developed that scope, then uh, a procedure for how these nurses will take calls when they have their shift and they sign up on the volunteer website that uh, the Emergency Response Coalition has developed. And we're getting a great response there. And we, we just take a shift and we answer calls from home using a resource guide that I've created. And we have a call log so that we are 
going for anonymity with callers, although that there's no guarantee with that at this point, but we do, we are attempting anonymity, but we have a scope and some points that we'll make sure we cover with somebody when they call in. Um, so it's all online and um, yet very accessible, I think. Yeah. And if anyone's wondering, and, and we'll, we'll give out the phone numbers and um, other information at the beginning, at the, in the end of this uh, recording, um, but okay. obviously you can find all of this information at doorcountypulse.com. It's on our homepage, um, for requesting assistance and the numbers to call, or if you want to volunteer, there's information for that. Um, just if, if anybody has any questions at all, and I really think like this is a resource, whether it's your network of nurses or the support coalition, almost any question you have that there's, you could, you're either going to find the answer from them or you're going to be pointed in the right direction for that answer. So whether you mm-hmm. need groceries picked up or you're starting to wonder if you should go to the to the pig or Main Street Market or Econo Foods or, or whether if you're nervous about that, there are resources to help you with that. There are resources to help you know how to quarantine. And if you're a second homeowner and you came up here and you're worried about maybe like the backlash of going out or whether you um, should be out in public for a couple of weeks, there's resources to help you do all of those things. And I actually think like for a lot of people who have elderly parents in the community that they want to help out, but maybe you don't live here. If you're, if you're someone who lives far away and listens to this podcast, this is a great network for you to call into to be able to help guide your parents or to encourage your parents to call into. I know a lot of people have those concerns right now. That's a marvelous, marvelous point. Yeah. So anyone can call in and they can request a call from the nurse. And the nurse will call them back. And they, it could be someone who has an elderly family member here or an older member in the community. We'd be happy to give them a call for you. Yeah, wellness, talk to wellness you, checks you know. just to see how somebody's yeah. doing um, mm-hmm. or, or some of that that you feel like needs to be checked in on. I, I think those types of things are really important. I know in the past I've talked to the Door County Public Health Department uh, nurses um, way long before COVID-19. But the number of people we have up here who are very isolated or shut-ins who... Those were, before this all happened, that was one of the concerns of public health was just making sure those people are checked in on and, and, and getting the resources they need. Now you, you, that's an even bigger problem. Yep. So you've got us to use us as a resource. And then through our, a chat with us, we can figure out if you need to see additional resources and, and we will refer you elsewhere if needed. We can also follow up on phone calls Later on, would you like another call in a day or two? Would you like us to call your parent or whomever it is that you're concerned about up here? We're happy to do that. Um, and then on a broader level, not necessarily specific to this organization, um, and obviously nobody knows what's going to happen in part because, I mean, truly we just don't know what's going to happen in Washington, D.C. in <laughs> a decision-making process. I did see that even though all of these stay-at-home orders were given out by governors, and local state authorities. Uh, the president did tweet today that he, it, when when he says that we're going to open the economy, he says that will override the governor's authority. I don't, I don't think constitutionally this is correct, but he's basically made the argument that he can unilaterally lift these orders. So who knows how that will play out or or what might happen? But in your mind and, and with your background in community health, what do you? envisioning for the weeks ahead when you, like most of us, probably reading a lot of information about what the data is telling us now. And luckily we've handled this fairly well in Wisconsin, at least. But what do you, what do you envision 
for the next couple of weeks, couple of months? What's the road ahead? Boy, um, isn't that a crystal ball question? We, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we need to stay tuned and stay flexible as much as anything. In our, in the, so the one thing that's certain is that we need to stay flexible, be able to pivot and change as things unfold for us. I tend to have a philosophy of erring on the side of caution because I care about the people around me. Because this virus we know can be transmitted by people who do not have any symptoms, there is a chance of transmitting the virus to people who are at high risk. And it is not just the elderly or those over 60 that are at high risk. It's anyone with a comorbidity. At this point, this is the understanding. A comorbidity or a disease such as diabetes, and we have an awful lot of younger people with diabetes, hypertension, another very prevalent chronic disease in our community, and heart disease. Those are the three comorbidities known currently that can create a very sick person. So lots of people can get this virus, but the ones that are going to be at highest risk of, frankly, potentially dying are those with those three comorbidities. I can't imagine there's anyone who doesn't know someone with that kind of a concern. So as we care about our family and our neighbors, let's err on the side of caution. Wear a face mask, you know, wear gloves if you need to. Try not to diminish a supply that's needed for the hospitals and the clinics. But at the same time, keep in mind that these recommendations from the CDC and others, those are minimum recommendations. Just Hmm. because they didn't tell you to wear a face mask doesn't mean you can't wear a face mask. That's my position on that. So make one that is as go to a current website. We have information that we can publish online for some very good ones. We know that there's a coalition making face masks in Door County. They are not a substitute for what we call social distancing, you know, stay six feet apart, keep your hands washed. If you want to take extra steps in in caution when you're visiting with people at a six foot distance, wash your hands and then wear a face mask as well. That's probably the most current information we have right now. And I would say there's nothing wrong with continuing with that indefinitely. Um, You know, and just in a general sense too, in in Door County with uh, so many people in that older population, there is, there is discussion out there of, well, let's just, let's open it back up. We'll, we'll quarantine the high risk folks. And, you know, in Door County, that's a huge swath of our population. <laughs> and then, <clears throat> then mm-hmm. we, you, that brings up the question of like, all right, how long are we going to do this? And then what, what does that mean for folks if they're locked down and limiting social interaction? And how long can we really expect them to do that? I mean, have you thought much about that? Like what, what's the breaking point well, I, in, in, for a society? I, I don't, I think it's an untested breaking point, to be honest, but there's uh, a fair amount of discussion in the science literature that this virus may stay worldwide active for 12 to 18 months. If that's the case, we're going to have to continue to really think about what we mean by isolation, because isolation itself is also a risk factor for illness and lack of well-being, if nothing else. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that. I think that we can learn a lot from looking at some of the um, other implementations in other countries. It doesn't mean that we're going to embrace everything that a country like Sweden or Iceland or some of the other countries that are doing things a little bit differently than we are. are. We don't have to take everything hook, line, and sinker, but there's some things we can learn from them. We are a, a, an island. We can 
have co- we have an unusually cooperative community here. We have high community engagement that's evidenced by everything from the uh, number of volunteers that we have in this community to the high rate of voting to um, well, those are the probably the two indicators usually used in community health. Yeah. So Joe- why not engage the community in some self-help, self-care? Um, what do I want to say? Um, preventive measures. Sure. So instead of just reacting, let's engage the community in what we can do to become even healthier. And and that can go way beyond this COVID nineteen thing. Let's how can we be a an incredibly healthy community? And that has a lot to do with not just what medications you're gonna take, but what kind of lifestyle you wanna engage, how many relationships you have with other people, the quality of your air and your environment and um, the arts, it all plays into what our well-being is. So it's not just about going to a healthcare professional who prescribes something for you. Yeah, that's a- Physical activity is another good one. It's a really good point. And and one thing that I think we have learned, and then you, you talk about our engaged community, and Joel Kitchens, every time I talk to him about um, kind of that that local engagement, he, he says that he's probably got the most engaged um, constituency of anybody in the Wisconsin Assembly. He said most places don't get nearly the amount of uh, subscribers to the Assemblyman's email list. They don't get nearly the amount of um, feedback and letters and attendance at town halls. So Door County is just much more engaged maybe than your average community in a lot of ways. And I think you've seen that with this crisis as well. And in that mm-hmm. as everyone else was waiting for the state to, to tell us what to do, you know, you had Chris Hecht, yourself, other people step forward beforehand, starting the preparation. So it wasn't as traumatic as it, as it might've been. You had um, Door County being one of the first places in the country, if not the first to tell visitors, stay away for now. We're going to try and mitigate the, the impact here for the time being taking real big leadership steps in that sense. And I think now one of the things I thought about a lot this weekend is just like, okay, what is, what is the road forward? I looked for all sorts of different articles that might lead me to believe that we could get over this hump quickly. You know, just as a business owner, I would, I would love things to, you know, people use that term like open back up. Like you just flip a switch and everyone suddenly is comfortable doing this again. Like my wife and I talk about this all the time. Like when are we going to shake hands again with people? When are we, (laughs) all these things, like when are you going to (laughs) share a drink with somebody when, when it gets delivered to the table or, or share food plates. Like, it's not like people just, Oh, we're open again. Just do all those same old things. I I don't know what that normal looks like on the other side of this, but there is some merit to having that discussion of, okay, is there a version of society we can have that isn't as isolated? And I I just, (laughs) like, can can Door County do something? Yeah. It's worth having that discussion, I think. I mean, look at how many different um, companies across the nation have retooled themselves so that they can continue to have a workforce at work, but six feet apart, as an example. I mean, there are ways that we can change things so that even in the presence of this virus, we might be able, and I'm not going to speak categorically here. I want to be careful about that, but it's worth exploring what we mean by opening up again. And still maintain not only a safe community, but a healthy community that's vibrant and excited about being here. You know, we most of us have made an intentional choice to be in Door County, and I think that's part of the reason we're so engaged. And I was chuckling this morning thinking, remember when the biggest topic we had was, look how high the water is. And <laughs> how how yeah. much that's changed. I, I expected this spring to be 
that was going to be my entire life was writing about high water and people losing property or losing docks. And I haven't, honestly, you mentioning that is the first time I've even thought about that in about three and a half weeks. There's (laughs) so such a long laundry list of of features and stories I wanted to get to that right now. um, I don't know when that's going to happen. I mean, before I talked to you, I was talking to the uh, Birchners down at Alpine resort, uh, which has told us they will not reopen this summer. Um, due to both the the virus and what that means for hotels, but also what it means in terms of getting summer workers because they can't count on the J1s. And I'd imagine there are many businesses at that tipping point right now of going, all right, it's delayed till June 1st for the J1 visa workers. That, and that's very uncertain in itself. So when might they expect that help? And when do they have to make that call to say, we're just not opening? And the Alpine has been open for 99 years. Wow. You know, though, we, I, I, I'm going to go back to what I, I hope is a hopeful comment. We are a community with an incredible resource of creative thinkers, and the business owners are creative. When we talk, I think we have to shift our expectation from saying we're going to go back to business as usual, what it was last year at this time or the last year in May, and say, how can we creatively move forward? And we have the thought leaders to do that in this community. I really believe that. How can we creatively move forward in a way that sticks within the guidelines that are needed, but creates a balance between our economic needs, our isolation, lack of isolation need, and and the concern about this virus, and perhaps other concerns as well. We can, we can balance those needs. It's going to take some discussion and some creative thought, and it may not be the same as it was before, but we can move forward. I do believe that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's at the point now where people got to start thinking and there are have been some interesting papers about like, okay, how do we open up again, so to speak? And that almost all of them start with massive quantities of testing right now we're we're doing maybe a million, a little over a million tests a week. And I, I think probably one of the most viable options for reopening the country in a major way calls for uh, in the millions per day, if not 10 million per day. Um, we're a long way from that. The, but even for Door County, I think local businesses have to start thinking about, okay, if we opened month from now, two months from now, three months from now, what does a restaurant look like that's going to give people, forget about the shutdown, forget about the, any government regulations, what's just going to make a consumer feel good about coming in the doors again? And there you go. Yeah. And it's going to be things like, all right, we're going to have sanitation stations at each entryway. We're going to lower our maximum occupancy. We're going to have standards for wiping things down that are very visible. Um, maybe maybe that means your wait staff still wears masks for the time being, or any customer would have to wear a mask. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it, what gets me, what I think about when I was like, well, maybe we, maybe this is an overreact. Like anybody, I, I try to think of everything. So I'm like, okay, let's let's give some credence to the people who think this is over overreaction. And then I try to envision that. And I, I keep going back to the, okay, let's say we open everything back up. And I think of the Gibraltar town meeting that I was at last summer when 450 people were in the door community auditorium. And I would venture to guess that no more than 12 of them were under the age of 70. So I try to think, how do you have that meeting? How do you have that Mm -hmm. big public gathering again? And then think back to like so many of the meetings or auditorium performances or peninsula players. I mean, it's mostly over 70 is most of the population in those mass gatherings in Door County. Uh, it's just hard to yeah. figure out how you would do that. Um, but those are the questions people need to to think about. 
I know a lot of places elsewhere in the country say, well, we'll just uh, quarantine the, the most vulnerable. Well, up here, like I said, that's the attendance at most of these events. That's uh, 30% of the, our county <laughs> <laughs> by, by demographic. You know, I, I go back to, I mean, I'm very hopeful that we are going to have more types of testing available. It would be wonderful to be able to have an at-home test and then encourage people to take responsibility for continuing to monitor their own health, similar to a pregnancy test or, you know, a, an alcohol breathalyzer test, if you will. Just something sure. that where you can take responsibility for your own health and responsibility if you do have something to not pass it on to someone else. You wouldn't have, well, one would hope if you knew you had a very active case of flu or chicken pox or measles, you're not going to walk in and sit down in a restaurant. Right. And this needs to be treated similarly to that. But until we have a way to know whether we are a transmitter or a carrier of this virus, um, we're kind of running blind. Um, so it will be very nice when those tests are available, not just through government agencies, but ones that could be, I don't know, this, this is just a creative thought. Why not have an opportunity before you go into a restaurant if you want to mingle with people or into a town hall meeting? Get a 10-minute check. You know, are you carrying the virus or aren't you? Um, and you don't have to share it with anyone else if you don't want to, but just take responsibility yourself for not going in. Yeah, and these all I seem... I that, that could that could start a dialogue anyway and not... Yeah. I mean, obviously we're, we're not prescribing anything and we, we don't, we don't run the county. We don't run the state. <laughs> um, but it is, yeah. these are the discussions that I think people need to be having. And it's, and as crazy as it sounds still to, you know, quarantine an area, Mindore County is unique, uniquely positioned to actually effectively quarantine an area if they want it, if for like a study of, from a public health department uh, standpoint of saying, okay, we actually are going to quarantine Washington Island and test everybody. You know, it takes 500 tests and then we sure. can see what happens. Um, you could do that with the county if you wanted. Um, it would take a lot of money and a lot of commitment. Um, and you'd actually have to and, probably and get changes from this. Yeah. yeah, you need civic engagement. You'd need like a, a community-wide buy-in. You'd need the state to buy into the, that idea. But those are actually discussions. Like if, we're, if you get past the point of saying, okay, this is a two-week shutdown and then we see what what we have, but when you, when you look at the likelihood of some sort of rolling shutdown idea, and then you go, all right, how much are people really going to be willing to travel? Um, then you start going, okay, if this is more of an 18 month process or 12 to 18 months, okay, what's the best version of those 18 months? And actually quarantining and hunkering down as, as a County or a community might actually be the best version of that. Um, I think those are worthy discussions to be having whether or not they're possible. Like they, they might lead you to, other ideas that are, are less than that. Um, and hopefully those discussions are having, or maybe we'll have to lead the way on that. <laughs> so, so having those sorts of discussions is a great way to start, I think, and to continue the dialogue. When someone wears a mask, that means they love you. They care about you. You know, I mean, it's a great way to let's put it. look at it from a constructive point of view and say, how are we going to create a, a positive well place it and it yeah it's going to be different it's kind of like putting your toothbrush on the other side of the sink i mean it's going to feel a little uncomfortable to begin with but that doesn't mean it's bad it just means we have to move forward in a way that's going to continue i mean door county has such a long history of creative can-do sorts of folks here right um we were the first community in the country to develop a an emergency response system that was countywide and 
and then it was uh, passed on and it's been used as a model throughout the nation. I mean, we, we have some pretty cool things we've done uh, in this community and we're not finished yet. Yeah, I mean, we, we have can continue to do that. Other examples like the the Door County room tax, um, community-wide room tax mm-hmm. was, we're the first in the country, I, I believe, to do a county-wide tax like that. Huh? Um, yeah. Coming together to market the county and solve a big problem we had about 12 years ago. And then I mean, you look at like what FLS and Banners is trying to do to restructure their manufacturing to create gow- gowns and masks and PPE. Um, and then I even look at some of the things we've, we have now from a local growing standpoint versus 15 years ago that there are actually a lot of sizable local growers, um, not on the mass feeding scale, but even like multiple local um, organic meat suppliers where now you're oh, looking yeah. at um, pork shortages and plant shutdowns that we're, we're starting to get to that point where people are pretty concerned about the supply chain, even for food. Like it gives me some solace that there's some, there's some options here that people have become a little self-sufficient um, on our peninsula. And you could take that farther. Like you could, we could learn a lot about each other in these weeks ahead. Um, I still, you know, hope for a miracle. Maybe, maybe this goes away in the summer and we have a little stretch of normalcy that buys us some time for the rebound in the fall, but we still don't, there doesn't, doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence yet to, to show that it will just kind of go away like the president initially said. So, um, yeah, a lot of discussions that that we have to have as a community and figure out the best way forward. And really, like when you, whenever you have these, like you said, like, yeah, it, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. We, um, I, I guess, I've always thought about, and I'm very proud to be a citizen of the United States. And we have a strong history of individualism. For me, I feel like as an individual, I'm improved by the community that I'm in. I'm as I'm elevated. My wellness, my sense of well-being has so much to do with the sense of community that I'm in that I want to engage community and I want to be a part of that community. So that that balance of individual community rights blurs for me, if you will, because I see the benefit of the community benefiting me as an individual as well. And I think that as we, so as we move forward, if we look at what we need to do to benefit this community so that every individual in the community has a sense of well-being to the best of our ability, and we can do that. We've, we've demonstrated it before, and we can continue to keep it going. And it will be just, it will be a new normal, if you will. I mean, right now, this is sort of a new normal. And, <laughs> and when we talk about we will never go back to normal, it's going to be different moving forward. But it can be a creative, positive, constructive way of moving forward. 